What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Thank you for joining the Mortcast, part of the CSG Network, and presented to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Um, today is a Gen X movie sh- excuse, not movie show, music show. I'm old, okay? I make mistakes. Um, I have two guests with me that I think you're going to love, but first, before I get into that, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, if you're like me, you like wine, or if you're like me and you open a bottle of wine and you just basically throw it all over the place that you're sitting, uh, come go to Blanchard Family Wines because they will have uh, wine for both getting it all over yourself and just enjoying and putting it in your mouth. Um, they are my favorite place to go in Denver, Cabernet uh, Rieslings, um, Pinot, they got their own vineyards in Sonoma County, California, ship it directly to uh, here to uh, us in Denver. It's fantastic. Um, they do virtual wine tastings, or you can go down for safe, socially distanced dining and tables. So they got you base, all your bases covered. Uh, you can find them at bfwdenver.com where you can bush, book your virtual wine tastings. They are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple of blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sends you there. And I'd like to tell you about my friend, friend Andy Feinstein. Please support our friends at Exo Event Center, located in Denver's vibrant Rhino Arts District. Exo Event Center can host safe socially distanced events uh, for uh, 25 to 175 persons outdoors and up to 100 persons indoors. If you are interested in hosting an event for a corporate gathering, fundraiser, client appreciation, birthday or anniversary party, or just a general morale-boosting happy hour, which, let's face it, we all need right now, Exo would welcome the opportunity to be part of it. Please visit exoevents.com for more information and book your private event today. Okay, today I got two really special guests. Um, They run the highly successful and, might I say, highly entertaining podcast, uh, The State of America. Uh, Two uh, guys I've kind of wanted on here for a while and I'm happy to have on. It's David Hudson and Ian Rice. Welcome to your both. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Um, You guys uh, kind of are like the example of how to do a successful podcast. And and David, I know you, uh, Digital Kill the uh, Radio Star uh, is your other podcast. And I actually, how I discovered you was listening to the, I believe it was the Morica Morica episode that you did um, years ago. 
uh, and I enjoyed that one. And obviously, you notice a theme here. We're all into the Black Crows. Um, so that is, that is, should be obvious from State of America, but whatever. Um, so, uh, David, kind of uh, before we get started into this, what made you get into podcasting? Well, I, I got into podcasting just listening to them probably about 10 years ago. And um, I'm just a music nut. And I, would ser- I was searching out, uh, oddly enough, John Karabi, who was a, a lead singer of Motley Crue for one album. I, I'm not a Motley Crue fan except for the album that they did with John Karabi. And I, mm-hmm. I found like a, it was like a two-hour interview with him. And I'm like, this is, this is really a really great format to get in, you know, listen to talk to musicians because you're not like on the radio. You have to take a break every seven or eight minutes or whatever. And um, realized that I'd been doing podcasts with friends my whole life, just us sitting around talking about music. So I, um, I hooked up with my old buddy, Chris from college and he, he's like me. We just like music. Doesn't matter what it is on, on digital kill the radio star. We talk about punk, alt country, metal jam bands. Um, I, I've gotten into reggae recently, you know, um, and so we, we started it and I just really kind of fell in love with doing it and didn't really care honestly about how many people listened. It was just fun doing it. And, um, I had Ian on to do a black crows album and he and I just kind of, hit it off. And in the back of my mind, the whole time was I want to do a black crows podcast, but I have to find the right person mm-hmm. and it has to be the right time. And so we started it in, I think April of last year, right when all the rumors started. So that's kind of how state of America came to be. And it was just perfect timing. Ian, you've done writing. I mean, you've done uh, a lot of things. I mean, that's how I started out was a writer. Um, nine. Well, no more than that. 12, 13 years ago. And, uh, as you know, coming from that kind of thing and then getting into uh, the podcasting medium, was that an easy transition for you or were you like, I, I, I got to work myself into this sort of thing? It was, I mean, I did the writing for a while and I, I, it was easy for me to get a gig the first time. I started writing for Hitting the Note magazine, which is uh, now defunct, unfortunately. But uh, you know, after that, I thought because the first one came so easily, I thought the rest would and I, I, I didn't have the same amount of luck after that so I kind of just sat idle and um I love to talk about music so when David said you want to talk about your favorite Black Crows record I said of course and uh you know just kind of went from there but it was great I've never had a problem talking about the Black Crows with with David it's just natural so Mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed it and you know when he said do you want to do this after we did that initial episode on on Three Snakes and One Charm when he said do you want to do this all the time i was like yeah <laughs> yeah sure yeah you got to i, I what i what surprised me is because i i've done this podcast since 2011 and one thing i remember if i ever listened to my any of my old episodes was that it took me a while to get a rhythm with podcasting because really truly it's like and i had two co-hosts with me at the time and I said, really, truly, it's just kind of having a conversation, you know, rather than just like I work in, you know, I do a radio show, too. And it's very regimented. I ask a question. You ask a question. I ask a question. You ask a question. And it's like regimented and all that stuff. Podcasting is much different. Podcasting is, uh, uh, for me, much more enjoyable. And I like it because it's like with, with you two right now, you can just sit and have a conversation about things you like, you know. Well, I have found that if I try to make make a podcast too regimented, that it it turns out terrible. Yeah, 
Um, matter of fact, I've gotten to work on Digital Killed. I don't even do research anymore, really. Yeah. Uh, it would just, you know, because I, I found like at first, like the first episode, we did our top five favorite debut albums of all time. Well, I had like Oasis, uh, definitely, maybe. And I had like, it was recorded at this studio. Here's who produced it. You know, here's the singles that released. And it was just too, it was just, I was just, you know, spewing out facts instead of talking about the, because anybody can go look that up. Yeah. But when you tell people how music makes you feel, that's different. And and that's kind of, podcasting brings that out in you. Yeah. It's it's one of those things. And I I think part of what I want to talk about on this particular podcast here is kind of like what we all talk about. It's, you know, what got us into our music? What got, what got us into um, really passion about it? Because uh, I, I, I've actually encountered people, and it's alien to me, but I've encountered people who don't really listen to music. They don't really care for it. It's just something in the background for them. And uh, that's something that, in, for the life of me, I've never been able to figure out. I've played guitar since I was 10. You know, it's something that is just in my blood. And I think that, I think that um, you know, doing podcasts about this has kind of really focused me into like remembering why I was so passionate about it. So kind of transitioning into that, I mean, I'm going to, I want to get a story from each of you and it will, uh, Ian, we'll start with you about what was the moment or like that got you into be passionate about it? What got you into it? Was it a band? Was it a moment? Is there something that sticks out in your mind where you're like, this is why I love the concept of music? Yeah, I mean, I can, I, as far back as I can remember, my, like my earliest memories are all music related because my father was, is, was very into music. And mm-hmm. I, I can just remember, I can remember sitting with my father and having like um, the Sticky Fingers album you know rolling stones with the working zipper and everything i just remember opening these records up and looking at them whilst listening to them with my father and just it was it was a bond Mm -hmm. with my father and it but i i just said like you know ever since then every moment of my life has some kind of music attached to it you know it's part of the memory it's part of it's like a it's like a rolling soundtrack for my entire life and it's you know you mentioned you know there's people that are are passive with music and it's kind of secondary to them in background and i i I can't fathom that either because it's so important to me that i I don't understand how it couldn't be to somebody you know uh david do you have a similar kind of uh feel like were your parents into uh into music when you were growing up well, it's really funny. My mother is a piano player. And uh, I remember one time she was telling me, she said, yeah, I went to a rock concert one time when I was growing up. It was the Carpenters. And I was like, you know, <laughs> uh, my dad, though, was, you know, real big. My, my mom likes to say he's into drughead music. Uh, you know, he was real big into like Zeppelin and The Who and, uh, you know, Janis Joplin and stuff. But I can remember being six years old and, and like the, the, the school I went to on Fridays would have pep rallies and the cheerleaders would dance. And it was usually like to like a, a, you know, a current song. And I was born in 1976. So this would have been like 82, 83. And I just remember like the, like, especially like big hooks, just like drawing me in. And so I always thought that our artists just released one song at a time because you'd hear it on the radio and, you know, I wasn't old enough to comprehend an actual album. And when Prince Purple Rain came out, I remember that year I asked my mom for like a big boom box and I asked her for, you know, she's like, what music do you like? And I said, Prince. Yeah. And so she brought me Pur- Purple Rain. 
Well, I remember putting the cassette tape in and just being like, he has more than one song. I mean, I thought he just had one song. And so like at that early age, the concept of an album became very important to me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, re- I was in like second grade collecting like Van Halen tapes and, and yeah. stuff like that. And it's, it's just always, it's always been a part of my life. And my wife actually was telling me this weekend we were driving and I, a song came on. I said, Oh, that song really helped me get through this time or whatever. And she goes, you know, I never understood how important music can be to I married you. And she said, like, you refer to a lot of things by songs. Yeah. Like I'll talk about, like, I, I had kind of a, a, a downtime in my life in the early two thousands and around, that was around 2005 or whatever. And uh, I really listened to Ryan Adams, Cold Roses album, like mm-hmm. over and over and over. And when I, when I, when I hear a song off that now, it, it takes me back to that moment, but it tells me, Hey, this music, music soothed you through that tough time. And, and, you know, I, I told Chris this Robinson, when I met him, yeah. I said, you know, your music has been kind of like the soundtrack to my life in that your music makes me, makes the good times better and the bad times, not so bad. Yeah. And I don't know if it's the way I said it or whatever. And he just looked at me and he said, I really appreciate that. You know, and he was really, really cool about it. And so it's just always been there for me, whether I want to dull an emotion or heighten an emotion, it's yeah. there. You know, I, 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 I've always been in it. My mom was, uh, uh, played the flute. My, my dad was always, was always listening to music. Um, I grew up on classic rock. You know, I'm, I'm, I, uh, David, you and I are around the same age. And I was just always listening to classic rock. And it was natural that all three of us would be into the Black Crows because there, there's, when you grow up in a certain era, era or, or way, you kind of get exposed to it. And classic rock radio in the 80s hit like into the like the mid 90s, hit its zenith. I mean, that was, everyone was listening to classic rock. So everyone got re-exposed to Led Zeppelin, The Who, Deep Purple, all these bands. And it just became part of my blood, basically. And it really made me want to be, when I was in high school, I grew my hair out to midway down my you know chest and i uh, uh i looked like uh a cross between jimmy page and slash that's how horrible my hair was <laughs> i'm just obsessed absolutely obsessed with music and, and all that stuff and you know ian i'm i'm looking at um i was like walking down memory lane and going through some of the experiences that i had when that were the seminal moments that made me progress to a certain end is there a um, is there a moment where you were like a concert you saw or a a, a CD you you picked up that you that kind of became your uh, music kind of uh, for lack of a better word blossoming? It was like it's the thing that set you off to being like as like I would say using this word obsessed with music like the three of us are. Yes, I, I mean I can I can remember it very distinctly. I was always. I liked music a lot, but I, the, the, when it when it shifted into high gear was when uh, my cousin, who's a couple of years older than me, um, he says, "Come here, you got to hear this." And he puts puts in this tape, and it's Van Halen's Fifty One Fifty. And the second I heard Eddie Van Halen playing guitar, I, I was a I was a a Van Halen knucklehead for like two decades after that. I mean, I still I love them, but I couldn't. I mean, there wasn't. People always have that argument like, oh, oh, I like David Lee Roth better. I like Sammy Hagar better. I was just, I'm a fan of Eddie. I have to hear everything, everything he's ever done. Yeah. And that's when I, I, I became obsessed with music. I, I loved 
Van Halen. Oh, yeah. Uh, how about you, David? Well, I mean, being a child of the 80s and early 90s, obviously, like, I was into Def Leppard and Poison yeah. and Warrant and all of that, which I listened to that stuff incessantly, and I had a group of friends. It's all we did was trade CDs and listen to music on the weekends. But when Alice in Chains' Dirt came out, music for me took on a whole new level. It wasn't just about heightening the the, the positive emotions. Yeah. It was dealing with the negative emotions. Yeah. And um, I started getting away from all of the, the Def Leppards and the Warrens. Don't get me wrong. I, I, can, I, can, I can still listen to that. I just don't really all that much. But, I mean, yeah. if it comes to the radio, I don't change it. Yeah. And then when I got to college – it's when like I really started to take on my musical idea. Like I got really big into widespread panic, oh. um, Sunvolt, Wilco, um, the, the college town I was in, uh, John from Wilco, uh, lived there. And so, uh, you know, they were real big wow. and you know, around a lot and, uh, kind of knew some of the same people. And f- from there on, like I, I would say my, my musical taste matured and I started appreciating, you know, the Almond brothers and, uh, got into a Colorado band, Big Head Todd, the Monsters. Big Head Todd. Um, <laughs> it's still one of the best live shows I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really I, I, I would say it was Alice in Chains Dirt that started changing me. And then college just kind of solidified that. And, and music became much more important to me from a, like a yeah. psych, on a psychological level. You know, I was, I was just thinking about this. And I wanted to tell you guys this story. And in 1991 was a seminal year for me. Okay. I uh, was taken to two concerts that year. Um, one, the first one in May, May 26, 1991, Denver Auditorium, the Black Crows. And they were supported, I believe, by Jellyfish, if I, if I remember correctly. And my memory of that was I was snuck in. I didn't pay for a ticket. I was snuck in by a friend of mine. Uh, his older brother worked there at the auditorium. And uh, he snuck us into the concert. And we were kind of on stage. Well, I guess it'd be Rich's side. And my memory of it is there are a whole bunch of people wearing denim in front of me. <laughs> and it was the weirdest thing. And that, that kind of like, uh, that was just there. I don't know why that's burned into my head, but everyone was wearing denim. And it was the loudest thing I've ever, to this day, by the way, and I've seen a lot of concerts. It was the loudest noise I've ever heard in my life because I was on Rich's side. And I, I'm lucky <laughs> that I didn't go, go deaf. But I, that was it. And then later that night, Chris gets in trouble for spitting on someone, right? That's, that's why it's burned into my brain. A couple months later, my dad takes me to see Yes at McNichols Arena during their union tour, where it was like eight people in the, on stage, right? And that was the moment that was that year was the moment where I'm like, it's, it's, it's nothing but music for me. It's nothing but music. I was 13, 14 years old. And since then, it's just been a lifelong passion. And, and like, do you guys, did, did you guys have a, I mean, Ian, did you have a, a band that you were into? I, I mean, David kind of touched on that with uh, Def Leppard and, 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 and Poison and stuff like that. Uh, which, by the way, everyone our age, age David, David, I think was into that. Because I was too. I think it's just, it was just part of the deal. Um, it's like people that turn their nose up at hysteria. I go, don't turn your nose up. You had it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly but uh Andy, was there was there a concert or a, a cd you got where you're like after after van halen where you're like um i gotta diversify my 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 interest because i know a lot of kids could kind of get narrow focused on a on a band and like i'm i'm still like that to be honest to be honest with you this day i'm just like obsessed 
but was there a moment where you're like, I got to listen to this other band now because I got to broaden my horizons? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, not surprisingly, it was uh, the Southern Harmony and Musical Companion, the Black Crows. Oh. I mean, that was what, that's what opened the door for me to essentially what I still listen to now, which is that style of rock music. Like that's that's mostly what I gravitate to. Is is, you know. Van Halen was like this technical machine and it's, it's, it's very clean. And, and I, I started to appreciate more the, that loose ragged kind of stuff. I like things that are recording. Like you can hear on the recording, you can hear, you know, snare drums vibrating and, you know, things that are recorded live in the room. And, and that's what, that's what Southern harmony brought me to. It's like, wow, you, this is kind of more spontaneous sounding and exciting, you know? Well, it's cause it's like, you know, the beginning of sting me where you can hear the amp right, right at the beginning. This is like, oh yeah, this is this. We're we're in for something now, and I think that was uh, that was uh, Mark Single Coil he was playing at the time. But you could hear the 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 the, the amp and and his pickups, and it's dong and then it was just then Rich starts in. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. This is, this is not a Black Crows thing. I'll leave this to you guys. I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, uh, David, how about you? I mean, was there? I mean, I obviously Wilco and all that stuff. Did it did by college time did concert going become your um, much more important to you? I guess was was that was that? Oh the moment yeah, I was I was I was really lucky that uh, so many good concerts came where I was in college. Like um, Watchbread Panic, the Almond Brothers. Um, gosh, I saw a lot of good, uh, better than Ezra played there. It seemed like every other week, but um, <laughs> wow. it was. It was going to see uh, Widespread Panic the first time. Really? David, um, was it was it good to see Better Than Ezra? <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was. Um, yeah, I started then, uh, I guess my freshman year, uh, like I started in the summers, I started doing things like going to Lollapalooza. Um, the one, it was the Lollapalooza that Metallica did. And um, a couple years later, my dad paid for me to go see the Stones twice while I was still in college. Oh, wow. And then um, once I got out of grad school, I mean, it was on. Had a little money in my pocket, you know, and uh, still to this day, I, I I travel a lot to see them. Can't right now. But, yeah, I would say that that first widespread panic show, just the, you know, the you know they were improvising. They were extending the jams and kind of the feeling that you got from when they deconstructed a song and then built it back up to a climax, much like the Black Crows do with my morning song. Yeah. It's a pay, there's a payoff. And, uh I would think that first widespread panic show just really opened my eyes to there's more than just seeing, like Ian said, these guys come and playing these technical parts that, you know, the song is three minutes and 33 seconds every time they play it versus, Hey, we may play a five minute solo or two minute solo. And uh, that just really wet my appetite, got me into like tape trading and everything. So I'd say widespread panic. Same question to you, Ian. It's hard to it's hard to say. I mean, I just I just I'm trying to think back to the, to the moment where uh, he doesn't want to tell you it was his first Mariah Carey show. <laughs> it was. You know, actually, the first the first show that really did something for me was uh, it was the second show I ever went to, and um, it was the Kinks. I was fortunate enough to see the Kinks before they packed it in. My dad took me twice. And there was something about, I guess, I, I think I have a thing for, for 
brother bands with brothers in them because there's something something very uh magical about that scenario they may hate each other all the time but yeah the kinks really did it for me seeing the seeing the black crows doing the improvisation uh stuff live you know just you really feel excited about that and i I just i there's something about the live experience that can't be uh oh yeah you know um best concert i ever saw why i thought we can get into this because I kind of like uh, non-crows, by the way, because I saw the crows in 1996 at uh, the Ogden out here in uh, Denver. And that was still the, it's still the best concert I've ever seen. Um, But let's kind of go non-crowsy related. Great concerts. Two years later, I saw Jimmy Page and Robert Plant at Red Rocks. And that was a Zen moment for me. I, I could have died. I could have died right there. <laughs> it was so amazing. And then that was probably their best tour. This tour with the orchestra was, eh. you know, they, they were playing a rigid set list and they've kind of varied things up a little bit on their Walking in the Clarksdale tour, which is a really kind of a mediocre album, but it, was, it spawned a great tour and I was just happy and I lost my voice completely went hoarse from from just yelling and screaming because it was it was such a great moment and seeing them at red rocks i mean come on i mean it was just amazing and uh it's tied that moment's tied with believe it or not seeing bob dylan (laughs) bob dylan put on one of the best concerts i've ever seen and he's notorious for completely changing his songs right oh yeah like people hate that about bob dylan it's like his songs are unrecognizable from the way they are in the records. I seem to, I like the Black Crows. I kind of like that sort of thing. Um, so it was great. And it was at this small town called Grand Junction, Colorado on the Western slope of Colorado. And it was at a fairgrounds. He just happened to come through. I still got the ticket stub in my wallet and it in 2002. And it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. So those two are like tied for me, like for non-Crowsy uh, concerts that were just mind blowing. You guys have like a peak I mean, like uh, David, you uh, said, the Big Head Todd and the Monsters was big for you. That was a, that was an amazing show. Uh, I saw them, but I have a couple. Like um, I saw the last show that Ryan Adams and the Cardinals ever played. Oh wow! Uh, at the uh, Fox Theater in Atlanta, and I think I was second row. Um, wow! And it was one of the most moving concerts I've ever seen. Uh, probably is like just a pinch me moment. Um, when Roger Waters did the wall, he came to Atlanta and that was a good uh, tour. my old roommate called me and it's like, Hey, um, you want to get tickets? And I was like, yeah. And so he goes, I'll take care of it. We calls me the next day. He goes, what's the maximum amount of money that you were going to w- willing to spend on these tickets? And I was <laughs> like, uh, I say, I, I was like $200. He goes, yeah. Can you just send me the 200? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, I don't want to get into it with you. And, uh, Come to find out, he paid five fifty for each one, and we were third row. And if you're familiar with the wall, when Waters uh, sings uh, "Comfortably Numb" uh-huh. in that show, he was directly in front of us, oh, probably wow. ten feet. And so that was that was a spectacle. And then getting to see the reunited Guns and Roses at the Superdome in New Orleans was just one of those things I didn't think I'd ever get to see. Uh, and so that, those are probably like my top three concert moments. Well, they played the Superdome. I did. I did. Was was that? the acoustics okay there i mean the the that it was better than you would think it'd be because i yeah. i'm typically not a fan of those kind of big shows like that like i saw you two in the, the georgia dome and it was just a 
sonically it was a train wreck. Yeah. Um, Guns N' Roses, I think, if this makes any sense, they were so loud. I think they just overpowered the acoustic. <laughs> like, you didn't have a choice. But to, and, and, and I was fairly high up, but it, it was uh, – I, I still have the video, I think, on my phone. When the lights go down and they're getting ready to come on, you can hear me talk to my buddy. Go, Did you ever think we'd ever see this? And he just goes, nope. <laughs> um, yeah, True. so th- those are probably, like, my top three non-Crows experiences. What about, uh, what about you, uh, Ian? Oh, I can uh, I can distinctly remember um, more recently. Actually, this is one of my top uh, concert experiences, just from from an odd kind of way, uh, for an odd kind of reason. I went to see Neil Young on the uh, Monsanto Years tour, which oh, wow. is 2015, when he had Promise of the Real as his backup band. Yeah, and anybody to to me, anybody that knows Neil Young knows that whatever record he's got going at the time, he likes to play a lot from that record. Mm-hmm. So that night, this is Jones Beach, outdoor amphitheater and things. And that night he must have played, I think he played every song from that record. And wow. But he made the mistake of opening with After the Gold Rush. So summer crowd, summer amphitheater crowd thinks they're getting like a greatest hit show. And, you know, I just watched, you know, people, couples and groups just like one by one, just oh. walking out. They were so oh, mad. Man. But to me, it was, <laughs> I'd rather go and, and see him play this material because he's very excited about his new material all the time. And I just love that. I love that these people were getting so annoyed and leaving. It's just funny to me. And um, I can also remember seeing the Wood Brothers for the first time. I don't, I, David yeah. is tired of hearing me talk about the Wood Brothers, <laughs> but he's smiling, he's he, smiling. He's not, he's not, he's, he's look angry. <laughs> but you, you kind of reach when you, when you start to get a little bit older, things, new, new music things, sometimes the, the, the moments are, are become more few and far between. Like yeah. things don't grab you as, as rapid pace as they did when you were younger. Yeah. And the Wood Brothers are one of the more exciting live bands I've seen in the last, you know, five, 10 years. They're just fantastic, and I was I, I I was so blown away by how how good they were in concert. Unbelievable. I uh, you know it is it's been one of those uh, ex- explorations for me just in general, like in my, in time, and like getting into and loving and and experiencing everything that is music. That I you know David brought up a band that I was obsessed with for most of my adult life. And going back to me when I was a kid, and it was U2. And I completely forgot. I saw the Zoo TV tour at oh, Mile awesome. High Stadium out here. And that was amazing. That was amazing. Now, how did that sound? Amazing. Really? <laughs> yeah. And that was like old, you have to understand, old Mile High Stadium was a giant erector set, basically. I mean, they kept building, building, and building on top of it. So it was just just giant metal structure. And one of the reasons it was so loud uh, when uh, you know for football games was because the, the everything would just reverberate well it was absolutely perfect for concerts perfect whenever anyone had a concert at mile high you your uh uh acoustics were going to guarantee to be good and it was just it was just amazing you know that, uh that's still i I, completely, I can't believe i forgot about that because that's still right up there with one of the best concerts i've ever seen see to me like the Rolling Stones kind of started the the stadium tour like on a big scale and kind of made that something to see as well as hear because they mm-hmm. knew like I remember Mick Jagger saying like he, they knew that the, the, it wasn't the best place for hearing so they had to kind of make it a visual thing. Yeah. And I really think that you two kind of carried the the torch with that because that Zoo TV tour that was just as much a visual spectacle as it was an audio thing to me. Oh man, 
and that's a great album too octung baby oh oh yeah oh man I, that's a, I, that's like a top 10 album of the 90s for sure oh yeah well, and you know and i listened to it i i did i'm going to be doing a podcast with a, a couple of people who do a, a podcast called review too and i was listening to uh octung uh, a baby again and i was like wow i love this album every song is good because when it first came out i was kind of eh. but now i like love every song and I'm list- I was listening to it thinking, boy, this is very early 90s, though. <laughs> <laughs> the production is really early 90s. And uh, actually, that's a good subject. But, like, do you ever, like, go back and listen to something that you really, really, like, liked listening to? And then you start hearing things that you maybe didn't hear before. And maybe they're not the most appealing things. Like, the production sounds dated. Or you just aren't feeling the vibe that you used to. Yeah, we'll start with you, David. Yeah, I mean, for sure, a lot of those, like, hair metal band albums, yeah. uh, you know, I, I go back to it sometimes, I go, well, this was just silly, <laughs> or, you know, they, they've got these drums mic'd so, you know, so loud that you oh, can't, yeah. um, I, I tell you one, though, that I go back to and listen to, and I always say, if they just did a few things differently on the recording of it, and that's the Rolling Stones Steel Wheels. Mm. You can yeah. tell that's an 80s album. Very 80s. But it's got some of the 70s sound to it, but the, the way the drums and everything are. Um, and then there's some albums that I go back and listen to. Oh, man, I really like Pink Floyd Animals. Yeah. Like, I go back that and I listen, oh, why did, why did I not like that the first time I heard it? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for me, it's a lot of those, like, glam albums that's just, you know, the, the production is just so super sweet. Oh, and yeah. It just, you know, like, if you went and saw them live, you know, there's no way they could recreate that. It was the pop music of the late 80s is what uh, hair metal was. It was, it was pop music with a solo. Yeah, yeah it, it really was. Although I had guilty pleasure of mine, I did, I did really like Whitesnake. And, but their history goes far beyond every other hair metal band. And, of course, David Coverdale was in Deep Purple. So that's a little different. Um, but, you know, you listen to their 1987 album, it's so bummed fantastic it's it's just present and it's just huge and the ballads are just like to the point where you can't I mean here i go again who hasn't heard that song but it's like just there and it's like going through you and it, it captures an era which will never be repeated where rock music was like and heavy rock music was the style that everyone listened to and I, I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again. I think it was the only time that that was the case, you know? Uh, it was a chart-topping thing. Uh, the, in, Ian, do you have a, something that you've listened to where you're like, I don't know if I like this as much as I used to. It's funny, and I'll probably get uh, you know crucified for saying something like this, but uh, when I listened to the early Metallica records, <clears throat> when mm. I was younger, I remember them resonating with me in a different way than they do now. When I listen back to them, those those maybe those those ones up up through i'd say like injustice for all like master puppets injustice for all the production on those sounds very dated to me and it almost takes away from it it kind of loses something for me a little bit well particularly injustice for all because it has no bass well yeah i mean that's the that's the the one of the uh metal <laughs> metalheads dreams is that they're going to finally remix that thing i know it's you know, I, it, yeah go ahead i talked to michael wagner you know the legendary producer who he played a part in that one time and i was just like how could you let that happen and he was like they were the boss <laughs> you know it was like post uh uh you know your bass player died and you're upset 
and this we're going to take it out on the new guy basically <laughs> and, then, and then go up to including not having an audible bass and one of the things that makes the black album much better is the fact that you can it's present i mean bob rock came in it's like bam and you know talk about 1991 that, what a great year for rock 1991. i think it's the greatest year in the history of rock music possibly I mean, yeah the black album comes out uh what else was out? Uh, October Never Baby mind. Came out. Never mind. Blood uh, Sugar Sex Magic. Blood Sugar yeah. Sex Magic. Uh, the Illusion did. albums. Van Halen had uh, Foreign Lawful Carl Knowledge, which I think was a, a great album for them. Um, yeah, that was produced by Andy Johns, wasn't it? Yep. And uh, brother of Glenn Johns, who uh, uh, was one of the great producers of the seventies. And yeah, that's a that's a, a, a just what a great year. And people don't understand the the, the transition from hair metal to uh, like what it became with grunge was actually um, very it was kind of abrupt but there was some great rock music right in that area um, I just like that I it's okay Megadeth's um, uh, Countdown to Extinction great pop metal album I, I call it pop metal because it's the more the, it, it was their biggest selling album uh, two million copies sold of that mm-hmm. 1990 they released their greatest album rust in peace uh i i, I don't want to I, I mean there are people who probably would disagree with that but I, rust in peace is their their peak and you cannot like can't get a more big contrast in the way those albums sound than from rust in peace in 90 to countdown to extinction in 1992 it's just you can't even compare it that's true. And then, then Mr. Mustaine came along in 2004 and remixed everything. So. Oh, God. Oh, don't <laughs> that, get me started. <laughs> that really upset me. That really upset me because you can't get the, the original mixes anywhere unless no. you had them already. You know? And he had to re-sing some songs, right? Because yeah. he lost the, the, lost the tapes. And his voice in 2004 wasn't the same as it was in 1990. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I actually started reading. Uh, he just released a book about Rust in Peace. I actually started reading it the other day. Oh yeah, um, that's. I saw like there was some quotes from Marty Friedman as to why he didn't get back together with uh, Dave and stuff like that. I'm I'm going really to interested to uh, to read that because Marty Friedman's one of my favorite guitar players of all time. Uh, no one has ever played like him ever. I I don't think you can get a player in the history of heavy music that plays like Marty Friedman, particularly, you know, with the, the, the pick hand like this. And, you know, it's just, he, he was, he blazed a trail that I don't think I'm, I'm this is turning into the Megadeth cast, but I, <laughs> I, I don't think you could ever find a, a, a guitar player who played like Marty Friedman. And he was absolutely perfect for that era of, of, of Megadeth. I, I can't even picture another lead guitar player in that spot. Just go listen to those last three minutes of Hangar 18. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's blistering. Oh, and the Tornado Souls solo is just chef's kiss. Perfect. Perfect. There's guys like Marty Friedman. Like I find there's technical guys, but there's some that do it with some soul to it, some, some feeling Mm -hmm. to it. And there's some guys that are just straight technicians. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, I always thought Marty Friedman was like that. Um, Phil Collin and uh, Def Leppard is like that. Like he's got some feeling mm-hmm. to it. Eddie mm-hmm. Van Halen, uh, again, Van Halen? you know, very big with, that's why some of those bands still have a legacy and some of them just kind of faded off into nothing because uh, you have to have some, you have to have some soul to your music, you know? 
can't be all shred. That's right. right. And it and it can't be all wah pedal. This <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you're not talking about Kirk, ha- Kirk Hammett, are you? Maybe, maybe I am. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, let's go into metal music because early '90s was a great time for metal music. Absolutely, like late '80s to early '90s. I just some of the best albums in thrash slash heavy metal history came out at that time. You had Rain and Blood. Uh, you know, you've got obviously Metallica in 1986, maybe the best metal album of all time, uh, Master Puppets, you know, uh, you have Peace Cells at, uh, at Who's Buying, and then you got Hang, uh, A Rust in Peace in 90, I mean, you got those two, 86 and 90. There was a series of albums re- uh, released then that I, I, they never topped. It was just right, like, maybe it was just the perfect time, like the antidote to whatever hell hair metal was going on. I would agree. The only uh, out of all those albums that you uh, mentioned, and maybe you could help me with this one because I I have never been able to get into Rain and Blood, and I feel almost bad about myself about it because oh, really? <laughs> it's so it's so, it's regarded as such a metal masterpiece, and I just I can never I can never crack that. I, I I don't maybe I'm not listening to it right or something, but I'm telling you, Raining Blood, the song, it's just amazing. It's absolutely just the perfect thrash metal song threat and I'm, I'm, I'm delineating thrash from the from the metal there i mean uh david when you when you look at like metal back then i don't know what you were um, were you into any of that metal uh when you were listening to i got into the- i got into the black album yeah big time and uh was into load big time and um like i think i mentioned i saw them on that Lollapalooza tour uh when load came out i got more into like the the heavier stuff honestly probably about 10 or 12 years ago like oh, i really? really got into megadeth uh, and now they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're like a top 20 band for me. And, you know, I've got all the albums and I've read, you know, I've read both of Ellison's books. I've actually interviewed Ellison before. Oh, you have. Uh, yeah. And, um, I've read, you know, both of Mustaine's autobiography and then this one, um, looking back on it, I missed out on some of that. Uh, I really did. Um, I think I missed out on like Pantera, um, Another one. But Megadeth is one that I've gone back to that, that just really like, I'm like, how did I miss out on this? You know, because I, I, you know, like I said, I like the poison and the kind of the, the power pop metal, whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. stuff. And just really at that time, I thought music was only there basically to make you feel good yeah. and not necessarily deal with like negative emotions. And then now like I've probably listened to more music for that reason than I do necessarily for, you know, the good times. And so much of that was was so different like it wasn't every rose has its thorn or fallen angel yeah. you know <laughs> it, yeah. it was so different but the black album is what started me down that and then of course i've gone back like you said i think master of puppets is i think it's the greatest heavy metal album of all time it's perfect um, it's a perfect album there's very few albums that are perfect and it's it's definitely one but megadeth man i'm telling you like i i've I listen to them at least once a week. I'll throw a Megadeth album on and, and I'm like, how did I miss this? What's your favorite Megadeth album? You know, it's it depends on what kind of mood I'm in. Like if I'm just really want something thrash heavy, I'll go with Rust in Peace. Um, I think Euthanasia and Cryptic Writings are both, uh, I think those are both good albums. Countdown to Extinction at times, the production on some of it kind of irks me a little bit. Yeah. But uh very I like those four, but I tell you though, Dystopia that came out three or four years ago. Title track is great. Is, I love it. 
amazing and it gives me so much hope for this new album but um if i go back and listen to megadeth now it's probably rust in peace and dystopia because um, yeah. kiko the new guitar player has brought an energy and aggressiveness to them that's been missing for a while do you have a favorite uh, metal i mean you're, you're uh, uh on your podcast you guys did uh, the load album right uh, uh ian you did uh uh yeah i and and i, I got to admit i don't do not care for that album uh and that was my my brother now let me tell you sorry my brother he's just a little older than me loves metallica and that was his no i am done (laughs) (laughs) they pushed it with they pushed it with the black album but this is a bridge too far i cannot take it i'm done you know but do you have a phrase you know within that kind of scope do you have a favorite metal album I do, and uh, yeah, I mean the load thing. I b- believe me, I I was I hung out with guys that were big into Metallica, and <laughs> you know they, you know they bought load and they were like throwing it out the car window. Let's, you know they put, played it, got rid of it. Uh, I always I always liked it, but yeah, I mean as far as metal goes, I mean, I I've I've always been big into uh, Euthanasia. That's my favorite Megadeth record. Oh yeah, um, I like the Black album. I mean I I. I there's people probably listening, uh, listening to my metal picks and going, ah, you know, that's terrible. But cause I, I, but I don't, I don't, I've never been a person that's kind of like, to me, those guys that, that wouldn't listen to load and just wrote it off is to me, that's a little bit more narrow minded because it's like, yeah. well, this is, this is Metallica and it doesn't sound like the, the Metallica. I think it should sound like, mm-hmm. so it stinks, but it doesn't, it's not necessarily bad. You know, some of the more, when those bands started commercializing a little bit more. See, I like risk, so I'm I'm not even yeah. going to apologize for it. <laughs> Bread, even... Bread, Breadline's a great song. It's a good, it it's, it's a catchy ass song. I mean, if people if people like would just like listen to it and think, oh, well, this is this got a good melody to it. Um, time the the uh, the first the first part uh, was is great. Um, Prince of Darkness, I think, is a good song. You know, it's, it's just it's a it's a it's a different direction, and it's like risk is like load and reload it is it is their difference you know and i i think yeah i mean it's not great but i i, I enjoy it it's a pleasant listen you know and maybe that's not what people are looking for that's just mix. a huge pet peeve of mine the people say they're a fan of a band but they stop it like like one of my best friends he's the biggest rem fan i know he will not listen to anything post-automatic for the people like really? probably can't name wow. five songs and i'm like New Adventures in Hi-Fi is a tremendous album. Yeah. The last album R.E.M. did was really good. It's kind of like with the Crows. People, oh, I don't listen to anything post-97. Well, then you're missing out. Yeah. You yeah. know, Lines, Lines has four or five clunkers on it, but it has some really good songs on it. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I've never been one that's like, I'm going to quit listening to a band that I'm, that I'm a fan of because of, you know, of X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah, of course, they're like with the Crows. Some of the later stuff, I probably like about half of it, but I still like it. I'm not going to not listen to the Black Crows because Mark Ford's not in the band. Yeah. Same thing like with Metallica or Megadeth. I mean, Dave Mustaine publicly has said, I was trying to write a number one record. You know, yeah. I wanted the number one spot. And so, um, yeah, that's just, it's a huge pet peeve of mine. Well, I, I look, I, I, I think that you're, you, you're into a band for a reason. And, and, I, as a long-term U2 fan, uh, they have released some albums that I'm like, you, what are you thinking? Like, No Line <laughs> on the Horizon is just not a good, not a good album. And those of you U2 fans who are listening to me who don't agree with this, 
come at me. I don't care. Um, but there is <laughs> it, it just, and then that is one of those things. Now the crows, their later output. I've listened to all of it. I will buy it. I don't like a lot of war paint. I mean, some of it's good. Uh, I think walk believer walk is a great song. I, I think that, you know, uh, uh, I always like, I have to say one of the people who like locust street. i like, I, you know, and I liked a lot of, uh, uh, before the frost until the freeze you know it is it is what it is they change directions uh it's not really my cup of tea i would prefer mark ford in there but i'm not going to stop listening to them because they've got luther dickinson in the band or jackie green you know or uh oddly freed who unfortunately really didn't get to play <laughs> play on any crows albums but still i mean why why stop listening if someone just changes you know and, uh, do you think do you think Jeff that like some of those albums like um you know like the self-titled Motley Crue or or Load or something like that something that that deviates from a band's like you know uh, quote unquote sound if they were put out under different names perhaps or something they would have fared better like cuz i really think that that self-titled Motley Crue record is fantastic but it, i think the fact that it's called Motley Crue or is it hurts it i I'll, uh, I'll bring an example from the 70s. Um, in 1976, uh, Purple, Deep Purple released Come Taste the Band, which featured mm. Cut Tommy Boland right. and not Richie Blackmore. And it still had Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale and John Lord and Ian Pace. And it was, it's a very good record, extremely good. And it has aged better than a lot of Purple's early 70s work. It's just, it's just, it was innovative, very funky, and all that stuff, but it was not a Purple album. And I think they would have benefited by calling themselves Purple, you know, or yeah. something like that. I think a lot of times they, people get caught up. Well, okay, well, the perfect example of this would be uh, Jefferson Airplane, Jefferson Starship, Starship, right? And it was a linear journey from Jefferson Airplane to Starship, you know, they aren't necessarily, you don't associate them with each other, especially Starship, but it was a linear journey and the name changes and, and, and really Jefferson Starship was a different band, but it really comes from the ashes of Jefferson Airplane. So you could see this linear journey and the name changes didn't hurt them. And I don't know why other pe they, people don't take that into consideration. And I, and I think that to me, and you know, David, maybe you could you could kind of come in on this. To me, that's sometimes like bands not trusting their audience, you know. That or you know, money comes into play. Yeah, which is what what happened was which is exactly what happened with Motley Crue. Mm -hmm. um, I think they did not want to call themselves that, and Electra was like, "No, Motley Crue signed the contract, you know, and we're going to go with it." But yeah, that album. Um, that's like a borderline desert island disc for me. That is it. it the, the reason I like it so much is it shows that that Tommy Lee was much more of a drummer than than he was when Vince Neil was playing, and you had John Karabi could play guitar, and he just has that voice that sounds like he's it's been soaked in Jack Daniels and, and lit on fire with a flamethrower. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and that that did him in, and um, uh, yeah. But the Jefferson Starship though, that's a great example of how it really didn't hurt him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, at, I'm sure they they sold more records of Starship than Jefferson Airplane probably ever did. They did. Well, like that uh, album Octopus, which the 
which has uh, miracles and uh, all that stuff, that soft rock stuff they were doing. It sold in zillions of copies. It's just, I, it, sometimes it works for you, you know? It, good music is good music though, you know? And I, th I, th I think there has, there's a standard of good music. Like the Fleetwood Mac album Rumors is literally just, I mean, it's all soft rock, but it's, every song's good. It is yeah. not an album that has, and it, it sold that many copies for a reason. And I think a lot of bands, and you know, Ian, you can comment on this, because I think a lot of bands as a, just don't want to take that risk because a lot of time it's branding. And a lot of times it's the, but I really do think a lot of times bands are like, I don't trust that our audience will follow us, you know? Yeah, I mean, it is a shame. Like it's, a lot of times people, you know, like when, when Leonard Skinner packed it in, the first time around, you know, when they had the tragedy and they, they didn't perform for a while, you know, they tried to do the Rossington Collins band and things like that. And really what draws people in, because you're, you're, you know, we talked, we mentioned earlier, you know, the, the more kind of passive music fans, they're going out for the summer and they see a list of shows at the nearby place. They're going to go for a name that they know. Yeah. So Leonard Skinner would draw in more, you know, put more asses in the seats than uh, Rossington Collins would just by name alone. Yeah. It's sad, really, to me, because it's, it's not necessarily indicating that the music's any better or worse or anything, you know? Um, you know, and, I, and here's something that, that, that I think we can all comment on. Have you ever worried, and then David, I think this is something that, that you could probably have a good perspective on with your, both of your podcasts. Is, you ever worried that if like a favorite band of yours became, would become a legacy act? Like one of those acts that like just tours, like the Doobie Brothers are, you know, mm. to where it's just let's turn tour and play the hits, tour and play the hits. You know, the Rolling Stones were that a little. You know, they 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 still put out new music, but they're they're basically a legacy band. Are you you ever think like, oh my God, what happens when the Crows? If, if this happens to the Crows, what am I going to do? Or is it just something I, I, like a natural cycle? I think it is happening with the Crows, um, and and that that's what kind of that's what kind of scares me. Um, because, you know, they have kind of always prided themselves as, as not being a nostalgia act, yeah. you know. And when you're telling people there's going to be no jamming, uh, you're telling people, you know, we're going to play Shake Your Money Maker beginning and then plus all, quote, unquote, all the hits. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think you, 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 you run the risk of putting yourself in the, the state fair category. Yeah. You know, like, you know, hey, I'm going to, you know. But then you have bands – like, uh, well, you know, like saying like Neil Young, he still mm -hmm. plays this new stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I, I've never been one that's like, all right, I'm going to see the only band or uh, that I would ever go see and say, there's one song they have to play. If I've, I've seen Roger Waters, I think three times, if I ever see David Gilmore or if they were ever get back together, they have to play comfortably numb. I'm yeah. sorry. But other than that, there's no band that I go see. You know what? The black crows, they have to play wiser time tonight. no, mm -hmm you're paying for a concert and yeah. the fact that you're not a nostalgia act and you're, you're switching up your set list means I'm going to get something in Memphis that people in Louisville are not going to get. And it's going to be just for me. And I think once you go down that road of, of playing nothing but the hits, it just turns into almost like a, like a traveling musical. Yeah. You know, it's boom, 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 you know, um, we're going to, we're going to close every night with remedy, you know, the end of the, uh, the regular sets always going to be jealous again. Mm. Well, while 
you may have a like i think this is what the crows are, are is going to happen to them on the money maker tour that they're going to do yeah they're going to get all those casual fans one time yeah and that's it you can't you can never go back to the well on that but it's people like us that go see them 20 and 25 times mm -hmm. they're going to have to come back to and they know that we're not going to now if they've played southern harmony Medina in three snakes like i'm catching that multiple times yeah but I, that's my worst fear is some of these bands becoming uh a nostalgia act and sadly like i'm a big pearl jam fan they're not there yet you know they're still swapping up the set list but um if you go see journey they're gonna play the same yeah 12 songs you know yeah uh what do you think ian yeah i mean it's, it's sad when when to me when artists become like that legacy act like the, the biggest culprit of that i can think of is billy joel billy joel hasn't put out a record since 94 i think river dreams yeah and it's and he has no desire to like to me that's kind of that's odd for me as a, to, to see a musician that has no desire to write new material it's it's he's kind of just happy resting on his laurels and I don't that that's never been attractive to me. I mean, I've never really been a fan of Billy Joel to start with, but yeah. Uh, well, but, uh, yeah. How much of it is though, like the, the the sales of music, you know, because it, it kind of like embitters a lot of these artists into not wanting to put it, put out anything because you don't get any reward for the time you spent, you know, recording these things. I mean, with streaming, I mean, if you, if, if you follow David Crosby on Twitter, he constantly talks about how much these streaming services are ripping the artist off. And it makes you wonder how that, and you know, I'm sorry I interrupted you, Ian, but it makes you wonder how, how much that influences how bands don't want to make new music because they just, they just don't get that financial reward. I mean, it's true. I, I, I use Spotify. I mean, let's face it. We, we do the podcast and the podcast is, partial is available through spotify and streaming services like that so you know we obviously we reach our, an audience through that but i always use those musically like i use them as almost like the radio i pay for it i pay the 10 bucks but i use it like the radio if i I've, i'll sample something and i hear it but i will go and buy it yeah you know the physical copy of it but i don't think a lot of people do that and i don't think the average person realizes the hit that that takes on the artists themselves i, I really don't think they have any idea and it's a shame yep. And that lost revenue is what's driving up concert prices. Yep. Exactly. It's, what, it's what's causing people to do these $500 meet and greets, you know, which I had one for the, I'm not going to lie. I had one for the crows, you know, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. And, and it's just concerts are so expensive now, yeah. you know, the, 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 but I do think one of the things that's going to happen because of COVID there's going to be a market correction. Yeah because there's only so many venues you can play. There's only so many dates. There's going to be a demand for that consumer dollar. But I, I, I firmly believe that the, the streaming and everything, it's just made it when you, when we were growing up, like I've told this story numerous times, like I had an allowance when we would come to my grandparents' house, they had a big mall by their house. I'd have 30, like 30 or $35 every time. Well, I, there was like four music stores in the mall. Yeah. Well, I would go, first of all, I'd go to the bookstore, get the latest edition of like Metal Edge and Rolling Stone, read the reviews <laughs> of the albums, f figure out the ones I wanted, and then go to the four stores and price them all. And if I d did it just right, I could wind up getting four cassettes and a cassingle, um, <laughs> you know? And so on the way home, you're like, all right. So like, uh, what was one I bought? Uh, I think it was like a Bullet Boys, the first Bullet Boy album. Ooh, oh, wow. Wow. And I was like, well, yeah, I didn't really like it, but I was like, you know, I spent $8 on it. 
So I have to, but there are a lot of albums that I don't, didn't like at first, but because I paid money for them, I'm like, yeah. well, I've got to listen to them. That, uh, that I've, you know, man, I'm really, I'm, I'm losing my street cred with the Bullet Boys. No, no, but, it's uh, fine. No, it's fine. <laughs> David, David, we have a reputation here. Okay. It's a, I know. <laughs> it's a reputation, man. I, I'll say, like, I think the, the, the lack of searching for music, I think also takes away some of the, 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 the joy because I, I used to have to go to music land in the mall. I used to have to go to, uh, you know, Sam Goody used to have to go to these places that had my music and I would buy, wait, buy tapes because, you know, I'm ancient and having, I mean, I'll never forget. I listened on the radio to the world premiere of Coverdale page, 1993, mm. March, 1993. Oh God, I was so excited. There was just so much anticipation. I recorded it off the radio onto yeah. that tape. I just did the thing and I had the whole thing. I, of course, that's long gone, but I had it. It was like some guy called a uh, Redbeard. Redbeard was uh, interviewing him. Yes. And, and it was a great, you know, thing. And then I remember having my uh, mom take me to Sam Goody and I searched and searched and searched and it wasn't out yet. And the guy at the counter was like, chill. It's going to be out on Tuesday. And so, like, I can't wait that long. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna have to, dude. So we, I, I, we, I went back and I had my mom take me back on Tuesday. And of course, I got it, but I got the tape, and I wore that sucker out. And I, I, to the point where it was going doing a thing on the, <laughs> just so warped. <laughs> you know, like, like sometimes the music would slow down, speed up, slow down. And that's how much I wore it down. And, but it was just like the joy of searching, of searching for the music and looking at the album art and all the, 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 the merge signs in different places in the ocean. I loved it. And I think if you guys, like, do you find yourself like, do you think the immediacy um, of having the music just there has kind of, kind of killed some of the joy of discovering music or just, I, I I'll start with you, David. Do you think do you ever have that feeling like I do? Yeah, because you can go on Spotify at midnight when it a new album releases, yeah. and you just hit play. And I, I find myself to, when the first if it doesn't get me in the first thirty seconds, I'm like, ah, oh, the album sucks. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, I, I I I try hard not to do that, but it's so easy to do it. That's why if it's a band that I have a track record with, I go ahead and pre order like the vinyl mm-hmm. uh, ahead of time. But yeah, it's just like the the immediacy of it, like you said, is just so, I don't know, it's, it's, it's good and it's bad, double-edged sword. Um, I wish more artists would not put their stuff on streaming services. Yeah. Um, and, and I think if you had one or two really big ones, like for instance, if Taylor Swift pulled all her stuff off streaming service, A, it would be a big story. It would drive up her album sales. And I think you would see other people start having the guts to do it it's just who's going to be the first one dude uh ian do you think you miss kind of like going down to the kind of the the, the music uh, shop and just like finding something you know like I, I used to get be able to walk into a record store and like just search like oh i didn't know this was out and uh, like and you pick up a vinyl you pick up a tape you pick, pick up a cd and it's like something that you just learn to experience through discovery and maybe it's just having the, for me, just speaking for me, 
having the physical copy in your hand and like looking at it and saying, oh, and I can just experience it physically rather than just having it come over a phone or in a, you know, in my case, I still have an iPod. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I used to, and this is something that is probably totally unrelatable to, to younger people, uh, but uh, I used to buy some albums I would buy because I'm, that's an interesting cover to that album. Let's mm-hmm. see what this is about. And that, nobody even looks at album covers really anymore or, you know, uh, reads the liner notes. Gee, that's a lost art too. And, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know, and that's, that's part of the whole experience to me. Like just doing, I, I look like I still, cause I still go to the local mom and pop shop and, and at least once a week. I look like a madman when I'm going around there because I'll be looking at something and then I'll think of something else. So I go to another corner of the store and then I'll think of something. Else. So I'm like bouncing around the store. They must think there's something wrong with me, but I still think that, that whole, you know, physical experience is part of listening to music. And well, I, yeah, I, I, and I think experiencing the, the joy of, I mean, okay. Album art, you know, they used to be part of it. Uh, Allison Chain's Dirt. I remember looking through the <laughs> surreal album art for that and thinking, like, man, that that's an experience, you know. Yeah. That, and it really accompanied songs like, you know, Rooster and stuff like that. You you kind of were immersed in it, you know. And maybe I'm sounding like an old bogey at this point, and probably <laughs> I am. But I mean, it's like David. I I I think that some of it is lost in the, the, I guess, the whole experience of music. You kind of, like, lose that that kind of, to me at least, the journey, you know, is, is all part of it. I, I used to, have, like, record release days used to be almost like a ritual for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember when Warpaint came out. Yeah. I had that, I, my, and my wife still makes fun of me. Like, I burned burn the Nag Champa incense because that's what the crows burn, you know? <laughs> you, you know, you, you, you go to the record store and get, you know, get the album and you bring it home and you put it on and you try to get quiet and listen to it. And kids nowadays just, it's just, you know, swiping a, a button on their phone and, and yeah. the music's there and there's no taking ownership of the music. There's no, like Ian said, uh, like I got Crowology in today. I've, I've been wanting that for years on vinyl. Well, oh. you know, I sat here and listened to it and looked, you know, looked at the liner notes and now do they even put liner notes like on iTunes? Do they? I did. did I don't, I don't think so. So like, I mean, there's no way that you can know, Hey, you know, uh, Dave Mustaine uses Dean guitars, you know, uh, Dave Ellison plays a Jackson bass. You know, there's no way of knowing all of that. And, I think it's like searching through all that minutia is what people like you, me and Ian understand. Yeah. It makes it even better. And kids these days, I'm, I'm, I'm get off your lawn guy, I guess, but <laughs> they just don't, have, they don't have that experience and they just don't understand that. And for them, it's all about one or two songs, an album. And um, you know, they're just really missing out. I, you just brought up Dean guitars. I did, I wish he would stop using those. They have no bottom end. There's no bottom end in those those guitars. I just anyway, that's that's a subject for another time. Um, you know, guys, I uh, I'm gonna do my I'm gonna do my awkward transition to uh, a ad read here. So I hope I, I bear with me for a second. Uh, I would like to tell you guys about 
DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Week two of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and see what you know. Get ready for week three. There's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to the excitement of week three, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head on over to the app now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users a chance to turn $1 into $100 when they bet on any team. That's right. You can place $1 bet on any team, and if that team wins, you cash in a cool Benjamin. How could you pass that all up? Download uh, the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code MHS when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Pick any team uh, during week three, bet $1 on them, and win $100, $100 if they win. That is $1 to win $100 when you use promo code MHS to sign up. For a limited, limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Eligibility and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay, awkward transition over. We can reset ourselves <laughs> back to our, what we were talking about. Um, you know, to, to kind of bring the horse into a stall here, I – one of the reasons I wanted to have you guys on is because I could tell from listening to your podcasts, you know, <laughs> plural, is that there was an appreciation of music, an appreciation of what it means to to go out and just experience music. I mean, we, uh, David, you and I have uh, been on the Amorica 3, Amorica 2, Amorica... Very, the, the various iterations of a very um, dedicated and extremely cynical fan base of the Black Crows. We have been there, we've done that, we've experienced that. And it is, it, it is places like that where you find people who are of common frame of mind, common, common goal, common, you know, like I like this band and I love this music. Do you guys find yourself, and David, I'll start with you, uh, find yourself seeking out that kind of thing, just even in social circles too? Like, and I'm going to talk pre-COVID here, obviously, but uh, like, did you find yourself like said, like, I can, uh, you know, not only hang out with you if you are uh, into music, but at the very least, it'll give us something more to talk about if you are, you know, into this night. Like, not necessarily the same thing, but at least we could talk about music. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm a big sports guy, and I always tell my wife, like, you go to a party, if I don't know anybody, I can at least start talking, you know, talking sports. Yeah. Um, I think music's the same way. If you find somebody like, I don't know, like I was at a party one time and I overheard this guy go, yeah, I'm a big My Morning Jacket fan. And this is like right when they first start, you know, I think right when It Still Moves came out, I'm like, oh, let me go find this guy, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I, I do, you, you find yourself seeking those people out because, um, in my circle of friends, I have, I, I have surrounded myself with a lot of people that are massive music fans, but we just have a very minimum overlap. Yeah. So, uh, but like I've gone to shows like I'm, I'm a, the guy that hosts digital killed with me is a massive misfits misfits fan. Well, Michael Graves was their lead singer when they got back together in the nineties. I've gone, I've traveled eight hours to see them with him just because I know how much that it means to him. Yeah. And so when you find people that appreciate it, like you do, there's a certain bond. And uh, a lot of times those people are like, Hey, you know, I may not be that big into Megadeth, but here's another band I like. Won't you yeah. try them? And 
those those kind of relationships are very fruitful. Plus, it's people to go to shows with you. But yeah, I definitely gravitate toward people that that are music fans, and it is a it's a conversation starter. And I've developed a lot of I've developed so many friendships through the podcast of people I've ne- Ian and I've never met. Um, you know, <laughs> people I've never met just because I love our love of music. And there's very few things I think that you can get that out of. Very true. You is it the same with you, Ian? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously more recently, you know, David and I have become very good friends. I mean, we send, you know, music back and forth to each other in the mail and get excited, you know, have conversations just like this privately, you know, where where it's it's a it's a very common, common ground that Mm -hmm. we share. And, you know, the the podcast wouldn't be the way that it is if we didn't actually get along with each other so well. But I mean, you know, mostly, you know, that's the, the most important relationships I ever had in, in life were, were forged with music involved in some way, you know, it's a great thing. It is. And, you know, with sports, uh, David, you know, watching the NFL and seeing every team suffer through almost biblical proportions of in- injuries. It's, it's, it's one of those things. And, but you, yeah, I can I find myself not bonding as well with the, the sports thing because it's kind of a, uh, tribal people like really get in their corners with sports but with music even if you don't like a band you could still talk to someone right because the there's that communal sense of 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 music and I, I, I'm, I'm sounding kumbaya right now but it's <laughs> seriously it is like you get the communal sense of i could reach out to you because you understand and you know that you know maybe this is not even just music it's just rock music and it's the it's it's the it's the sense that you all like the same thing, even if you don't all like the same bands. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I, I've, I've always said this, that certain period of, of music, I would say from like the mid sixties, you know, to like the, it's hard to say when the cutoff is, but there's a certain, that that period of music has such a longevity to it. I mean, there's, there's records, they're putting out 50th anniversary editions of some of these albums and people yeah. still love these records. It's just something about that, time period that's that music is going to last forever and it's going to there's going to be conversations like this about that music forever and there's going to be friendships forged over that music forever it's that to me is a wonderful thing you too david yeah i completely uh, agree with ian it's just it's it has spurred on so many friendships for me um and um like I, i I've had so many, I'm, I'm, um, I'm a pharmacist and obviously during COVID, this is kind of a stressful situation time and all of my resident, all of my patients are in nursing homes. So it's even, you know, doubly kind of, you know, stressful. And I've had so many people that I've never met just reach out to me privately, like, Hey, how you holding up? You know, things good. You're all right. You know, and it's all because of this love of music and you can really tell a lot about a person, um, by what kind of music they listen to and especially like their insights on it. Uh, you know, Hey, that's a really deep thinker. He's, you know, picked up something on that, you know, that I haven't, but I, I just don't know where I'd be without my musical friendships. I, I think we all feel the same way. I, I know definitely that I do. I, I, my friends that I do that my, my music show with our I've, friends I've had for almost 30 years and it's all this intense bond over music. And I think that that is something that I cherish, I think more than uh, the, basically anything, because it just kind of like, it, it's, a, it's a bonding that I think that uh, is identifiable. Like, and, I, and I think 
there's other social groups and social circles where you could say everyone likes the same thing and it's fine but there's a communal aspect to, to music and specifically certain types of music that's great i mean like i got friends who love goth music love goth music they will go to uh great lengths to tell me how great Bauhaus was i mean it is it is it is something that but you know what i don't like it as much as they do but i enjoy it enough because they were persistent with me and we were able to have that respect you know and like the like the three of us right now are just having a what i would describe it, it this isn't even a podcast this is a conversation about about people getting to know each other over music and to me there's nothing like this there's nothing like that feeling from just like dude you like this band <laughs> what do you think about this and then oh yeah you know a lot about uh, such and such you know and it's just i love that exchange of ideas and moments and all of that stuff and and like i said this podcast is a great example of it because it's you, you can't replace it and you know and uh i appreciate you guys coming on and listening to me rant about this shit you know because you know obviously at this point no one else will other than my friends so i appreciate it <laughs> but uh in uh just kind of like as a wrap up here what what are you looking forward to most you know aside from the crows is there anything coming out that you just are like i gotta have this is there is there uh is there a is there a new release happening this year that you really gotta have Yes, absolutely. And uh, it's the first thing that pops into my mind uh, whenever thinking about new releases. And that's the re the vinyl reissue of Tom Petty's Wildflowers. Oh, yes. Yes. I remember that album. Which I, well. I, is a, <laughs> it's beautiful. And it's finally seeing the, uh, I don't have to pay, you know, $700 for a copy of <laughs> Wildflowers on vinyl now. And yeah, and there's going to be all kinds of bonus material. I'm very excited about that. That came out in 93, right? 93? Uh, three or 95. four. Yeah. Uh, 95? 95? Yeah, maybe around there, in that vicinity, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, just, I remember listening to it. My art teacher, uh, that was my senior year of high school, uh, my art teacher uh, let us listen to the radio in class, and uh, several of the songs from that album was played constantly. I do mean constantly on the radio out there. <laughs> uh, uh, David, is there anything you're looking forward to? Well, uh, it actually just came out. Was the uh, Rolling Stones' "Go Ted Suit" reissue? Mm, yes, um, it is one of the greatest reissues I've ever heard. They there is so much going on on the at least on the vinyl that that I haven't picked up. And that's one of my favorite Rolling Stones albums. And then they have the unreleased tracks on it, and then they have the uh, it's called the I think it's called the Brussels Affair. Mm -hmm. It's a, kind of an infamous, not infamous, kind of a famous uh, bootleg show from from that tour. Mm -hmm. um, Tom Petty's Wild Pot Flowers, like Ian said, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and supposedly we're going to get a new Megadeth album, hopefully, this year. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to that because of how good the last album was. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have anything really I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, obviously, the new Megadeth album. Uh, but the Goat's Head Super issue was amazing, which is uh, interesting considering it wasn't their best album, it was the album after Exile on Main Street, so it was obviously going to suffer in comparison. But the the amount of stuff on that that is excellent is amazing to me. Even that jam with Jimmy Page, uh, Scarlet, is was like inter It wasn't great, but it was interesting, you know. And I, the amount of interest, the volume of interesting stuff on the on Goat's Head Soup was just, I was stunned because I wasn't prepared for that. I really wasn't. 
you know, it, it, it was, it was just, it was good. It was good. So, well, you, you guys, thank you so much. You've been very good on this podcast and thank you for sitting down with me and just to, just to have a chat, you know, and, uh. I will have you guys back anytime if you want to come on. This is uh, well, we uh, gotta we gotta get you on a state of America. Absolutely, oh, I appreciate you. This is the first time I've ever been invited somewhere. It's always just David, so I appreciate <laughs> you including me in this. And I had a great time. This is fantastic, man. Thank you. Yeah, no thor- thoroughly enjoyed it, Jeff. No problem. Thank you all for joining me.